Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. Hi, I'm Kathy Ma. I'm Sean Fitzgerald. And I'm Tony Uphoff. Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update. I'm Sean Fitzgerald. Today, I'm excited to welcome Chelsea Barnes to the podcast. As a manager of the Organizational Change Management and Digital Practices team at Calypso, a Rockwell automation company, Chelsea Barnes helps her clients navigate the changing landscape of data-driven decision-making as they adapt to digital transformation in the industrial space. Welcome to the show, Chelsea. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on today. Thanks so much for joining us. As we get started, to make sure all the listeners are on, uh, on this with us as we get going, can you give them a definition of organizational change management? Yeah, I wish I could just give one simple one-liner definition. Um, the way I think about OCM is it's a part of all of our delivery. It's a part of everything we do. Sometimes people come to me and ask, like, when do I start OCM in my project? I'm like, now, do it now, do it now, do it throughout the entire project. Um, you know, it really should be driving the delivery and kind of, uh, you know, I think of it like the, the grounding, the grounding truth throughout your entire project of always connecting back to the people side of the equation. So you're driving adoption and ultimate, ultimately success of a program. Cool. So with, as far as uh, change management that I've been a part of, the b- very basic framework that I've used historically, and I'm sure you have much more advanced things, was people, products, process equals performance at the end of the day. So the big buckets that we would take a look at. How do you decide what to use and what to do uh, when you come into an engagement with someone? Yeah, so people process technology is definitely a go-to for us. It's a good organizing framework, Um, but we tend to use what works for the client, for the particular project and for the particular phase of a project. So we we tap into Prosky and Adcar and these different frameworks you have out there, but sometimes they just don't don't fit in with the how you actually execute a project. So we like to kind of take our bits and pieces of those in the way that makes the most sense for that particular situation and for that client. So as you're getting involved with all kinds of different companies, and I know this will probably be, you could have a million answers to it, but what's the biggest challenge that you see for business leaders as they start to drive digital transformation and organizational change inside of their businesses? Um, And what could you make, uh, what recommendations could you make for them um, to tackle those really hard things that most folks uh, fall into? Yeah, so I won't I won't give all million of the challenges, but I do have to I have to do a big pick two. I can't pick just one. So I think so the, the two that come to mind to me are just getting started. So how do you actually get momentum with the program? I think the second one is how do you build the organization that can keep that momentum up? So with the first one, like what we often see is clients going and and thinking a little bit too foundational or thinking too big up front, where it's like, okay, let's sensorize everything let's do this massive data cleanup project like then we can get going on the cool stuff but like you know do that ground truth stuff first Um, and the problem with that is you often end up with massive investments multi-year timelines and at the end you don't really have value to show from it you have a thing but not a solution you haven't delivered against a you know broader business or user benefit so the the counter to that is what we like to to push for is a minimum viable product or mvp starting phase so you you look at you know pain points you look at opportunity areas how that map up to like broader business objectives and try to pick that one kind of like 
narrow slice of the pie that connects back to one of those business objectives. It's not so lofty that you couldn't do it in a reasonable amount of time, but that shows real value. So like pick that narrow slice, prove it out in a small, small chunk of time, you know, eight, 12, re- 12 week timeline. And in that phase, like you have two key objectives and that's proving that it's viable. So, you know, proof of concept kind of thing, but also valuable. At the end of that, you should say like, yes, this would deliver on the benefit that we've sought out to deliver. And if you can have those two pieces come together, you have the viability and the value, you are now set up as like a springboard to go forward. You've proven it can work in a real world situation and you've proven it delivers something that, that users want and the business wants. Very cool. This is, it's funny. You always hear folks say, well, I want to use AI or I want to use ML, which is the exact opposite wrong way to come at things. Like what problem is it going to solve as opposed to I want to use cool technology. So great recommendation on making sure that there's an immediate impact to the business as you get started. So from a technology perspective and a strategy perspective, I think that gives folks some really good first steps that they can use as they're looking at their organization. Now let's talk about the people part of the organization. So as much as the strategy may look fantastic on paper, um, how do you make sure everybody's up for the change? How do you get everyone on board? I imagine this is, again, one of the most difficult parts. Um, The technology you can wrestle to the ground and and make decisions on. If the team's not following you or not willing to make that change, um, it, it can impact everything in a negative way. Are there recommendations that you would make to industrial leaders on, on ways that they could get everybody seeing what the opportunity is and what the value is to the whole organization? Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest thing that you could do up front is listen. Is it get get all levels of the organization engaged and uh, you know, be a part of defining the journey, not just you know receiving the end product. Um, so we use the the human centered design approach here, persona definition. People may have heard these terms, and like what that tactically means is talking to upper level management about the vision, talking to people on the ground, your future end users at the very start of the program, like hearing out those pain points, hearing out like what they want out of this solution. And it not only helps with the change management aspect of, you know, buy-in if you, the psychological thing, if you feel part of the solution, then you're more likely to buy into it later. But generally, if you engage all levels of the organization, your end product is so much more comprehensive and robust than it otherwise would have been. Cool. So we're, we need to make sure that we're listening first off, which is always a good uh, recommendation in many, many cases on it, especially here. Um, and then making folks a part of that uh, journey and understanding the vision at the same time. Um, as you've worked with tons of folks, it sounds like in consumer packaged goods and other areas in industry, do you have a, a big win that you could share with us on, you know, maybe what the challenges were when you and the Calypso team came in and then how you worked through it and the outcome for us? Yeah, I, th- I think a really cool one is something we did um, or kind of currently doing for a consumer client. Um, so it's, this, it's a manufacturing project that's about like enabling a complete digital thread. And it's, it's remote line design, line commissioning using digital twins and emulation, extended reality for training these um, like machine learning backed advanced process control algorithms. Like it is this crazy, you know, all encompassing solution, which sounds really, really daunting. Um, so we use that MVP approach. It was like, let's start small. Let's start on a single line and a single plant, a single new product. And let's like kind of have our different work streams to break out those little parts 
And going back to the persona thing, the human-centered design is we talked to people at, at all levels. We built out the personas of like who was actually going to be ultimately using this. And you know, the, in, in particular, I'll just highlight the example of you know, extended reality devices is compared to other things you just give to somebody or someone has to work with, like that is becoming a part of someone's job. It's it's like, it's on your face. You know, you can't ignore the person that's ultimately gonna do that. And like what that means for their process. So I think like really tapping into what that meant in you know the user's world and their day to day made, you know, each one of those individual parts of that solution really powerful. But the really cool thing about that was because we did it in this really small, narrow way, we were able to deliver something relatively quickly. And now we have the platform that can go to other plants, we have other business units. Like, can I have this now? Like, I, I want to do this. Is, is this feasible? And like, I, I heard this was great. Can we get it too? Yeah, exactly. And so normally, I mean, it's it's very important to paint the vision, like tell the story of something. But still, people are like, "But can you really do that? Like, is that actually feasible?" But if you have that proof point, then it's like, "Yes, definitively." So we just did this. Look at this. Even if it's this narrow, small context, like we did it, and it's viable for you. And like making it real for people is such an important part of those really kind of cutting edge digital transformation initiatives that people are taking on. So an example like that, that's going to have uh, benefits across the board, whether it's throughput, you know, revenue generation, and then also um, things like, you know, overcoming skills gap, which is a big thing that you hear in the industrial space right now. So again, stepping into that automation and the digital transformation and utilizing the technology that's there for you, as opposed to, uh, you know, the historical army Navy approach of throwing folks at it until the job gets done, um, you know, working Working smarter, not harder, I guess, is, is the thrust of the, the uh, thought there. Um, so as a leader on your own team, Chelsea, how do you inspire change? I know that you go into everyone else's business and you get to help them. How do you inspire change on your team at Calypso and inspire that growth across the folks in your group? So I would say I'm pretty lucky to work with talented, brilliant people on a day-to-day -day basis. So usually inspiring them isn't too hard because you know they're just exceptional on their own. But you know, you have project delays and setbacks and get kind of lost in the weed of things. It's easy to just, you know, it's easy to get lost in all of that and not think of the bigger picture. So I usually how I inspire myself to keep going and like, you know, keep focused on things and the team is just is focusing on what we're ultimately delivering for for the client, for the users. Like that's that's a cool and that's a fun stuff of the job of like holding up your app, like I made that, like I did that and now people are using that and it's doing this cool thing. Like seeing, you know, having the results really be the driver for what we're doing to drive, you know, engagement and creativity. You know, that, that's what always helps me. I think it helps the team. Super cool. Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us today. So in, uh, as we depart, listen, make them a part of the vision, share, uh, share the journey with everyone. That's the secrets that uh, you can implement for OCM in your company. Looking forward to catching up with you again soon, Chelsea. Thanks so much. Great. Thanks, Sean. Super excited to have Olivier Pazé with us on today's podcast. Olivier is the Vice President and General Manager of Product and IoT Solutions at Sierra Wireless. He's also one of our Thomas Insights market experts, a contributing author. Prior to his role at Sierra Wireless, Olivier managed strategic programs in Asia at Wavecom and utilized his skills in electrical engineering to consult with Airbus. For those that don't know, Sierra Wireless is based in British Columbia, Canada. 
and is a multinational wireless communications equipment designer and manufacturer. First off, Olivier, thanks for joining us. We're so thrilled to have you on the podcast today. No, thank you, Tony. Very exciting to be here today as well. To our audience, you know, we, we have a broad audience that, that IIoT, the the internet, the industrial internet of things, Olivier, would in some cases, our audience would be quite advanced at it. In other cases, they haven't yet started. So let's kind of think of the middle of that audience who are probably aware of it and perhaps maybe not yet started down the path of developing an IIoT strategy. How would you suggest companies start to think about a strategic framework about IIoT? Yeah, no, that's a very interesting uh, question. Actually, IoT, industrial IoT, is a big, uh, it's a big topic, and can be uh, can be overwhelming for a lot of uh, a lot of people. Uh, to, to me, we always need to look at two lenses. So one is a business lens: is what do we want to achieve from a business standpoint? And uh, and for, first and foremost, it's very important that somebody that thinks about IoT doesn't think about technology first, but thinks about what is the business outcome which is expected. What do we want to achieve? Do we want to do predictive maintenance? Do we want to add new services into uh, your current business? So you need first to make clear what is your business objective. And then after that, you need to think about the technology. Now, the technology is very complex. It looks very simple. Connecting one asset to the cloud, it's actually something pretty simple that everyone should be able to do. But actually, under the hood, it's pretty complex. And, and why is that? It's because IIoT is combining a lot of different skill sets. You have the asset itself, what people call OT, embedded technology, assets that we, physical assets that are going to be deployed on the field. On the other hand, you have the cloud, so you are mixing first OT and IT, embedded and cloud technology, and in between you have a network. So you need to have telecom expertise. And on top of that, you have some overarching technology like cybersecurity that, of course, are necessary for IoT. So it's a lot of different pieces, embedded, cloud, telecom, cybersecurity, that you need to be able to understand and deal with it. Olivier, as you think, you know, I just want to follow up question there. You mentioned, you know, and I think it is so true, the North Star needs to be what, what, what's the business? What are the business capabilities that we're trying to do? And then the technology all of us should remember that it's it's not easy to do at times. Um, talk a little bit. You know, we we uh, we we share with our listeners on a regular basis that w one of the transitions from digital transformation is fundamentally business model transformation. Are there some examples of of unique business capabilities that you're starting to see through the advances of IIoT, or how some companies maybe a a case study or two of what their business objective was that IIoT helped them accelerate? Yeah, so uh, as you say, IoT is really at the heart of the business transformation. And when you think about business transformation, you have two axes. One is to save money, and the other one is to make additional revenue. Usually, the, usually the way to start is to start with the easy one, is how I can save money. And, and here, example of what IoT can bring is uh, predictive maintenance. So you have assets that are being deployed, that could be an HVAC, an air compressor, a pump, uh, batteries, and so on. What you want to do is to do condition monitoring to know how the asset behave, to be able to do predictive maintenance. And here you are going to save money by avoiding to send technicians on the field, downtime, and so on and so on. So that's a very immediate one. And then after you can start to think about how you can turn that into additional services 
evolve your business model from selling asset into selling asset as a service. So you are not going to sell an air compressor, you will sell compressed air. So you sell the outcome of the equipment and that's a much bigger transformation, which is the end goal to change your business model and change the way you deal with your customer. Olivia, a great example of business model transformation. And those are the things that I think are so exciting. Those are the types of things, pardon me, that are so exciting about this technology. Um, talk, you know, share with our listeners some best practices that, that you might suggest as a foundational model for starting to, to work with IIoT. You know, so I think some people might be intimidated that it's either too expensive or the infrastructure required is simply too much or they're intimidated by, the, uh, by the, the technology itself. Do you have some best practices you could share about getting started? No, absolutely. So based on, again, our 25 years of experience at CROLS, we have seen customers go going through the journey and, and, and the best practices are pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. So first of all, again, IoT is a big thing, can be overwhelming. It's about transforming your business of, of your company. So, the first thing is that you need to start small in terms of business case and business model and use case. So again, maybe one example is I want to save money on maintenance cost and I'm going to do predictive maintenance. So you start very small, very narrow, but you know what is your North Star, you know what is your KPI and you can monitor where you are toward this journey. So first is start small again in terms of use case and uh, business case. Then after you need to think about the, the technology that you're going to implement. And again, to be able to achieve that, you need to think about OT, IT, telecom, cybersecurity. So there is a lot of infrastructure underneath. And here you need to think about an infrastructure that you will be able to scale because you are going to start small. But what you don't want is to do a very narrow stovepipe that the day you will have to evolve, you will not be able to do. You will have to throw it and, and build something else. So you need to think about scalability, about an infrastructure that can go big. So think big on the way you build your infrastructure. And last, third, I would say is to build an infrastructure with, again, a big thinking process on where you want to be in five years from now and how you will scale IoT requires, as we discussed, a lot of different expertise, embedded technology, cloud technology, telecom expertise, cybersecurity. And this is only to build an infrastructure without a lot of differentiation. So here's the advice is don't try to reinvent everything yourself. Don't try to reinvent the wheel, leverage from best practice, leverage from companies that are already built that, leverage from this existing infrastructure, and then think about what is custom to you, to your business case, about your specific assets that you want to monitor, the specific service you want to offer, and this is where you will bring value. You are not going to bring value by rebuilding a full infrastructure that already exists. Olivia, you, you touch on a lot of the enabling technologies that are that are fueling IIoT. Is there one or two that you're seeing, you know, maybe a unique acceleration? Like a lot of people talk about 5G and reducing latency and different things that are going to contribute to this. Is there one or two technologies that you're keeping an eye on or that you might share with our listeners that are particularly going to start to to reshape or accelerate uh, capabilities within IIoT? Yeah, so there are a few of them. So one, obviously, is, um, is from the telecom standpoint, it's what, what is called LPWA, Low Power Wide Area Network, with LTKTM, uh, which is today a 4G technology and which will evolve into a 5G technology. And then after 5G, we'll bring low latency, high speed, and so on. 
So of course, this is uh, an important enabler. Uh, but then after you have a lot of things uh, and maybe more interesting for, uh, for our user is what is happening basically on the data layer and the ability to distribute, to distribute processing between edge and cloud. Because what you don't want is just to get data and after to deal with the data once they're on the cloud, you want to be able to do some filtering intelligent at the edge to only get what you need and to gain in effectiveness in, in latency. So edge processing and the ability to distribute processing between edge and cloud is becoming a, a critical factor for success. And last is about cybersecurity. So IoT is going to be about security at the end of the day especially if we are in a B2B environment, you are going to get assets connected on the field for five to 10 years from now. You need to make sure that you will maintain the high level of security over time, and that's by itself a piece of technology that, uh, that is very, very important moving forward. Great insights, Olivier. Um, we've been talking about how you work with customers and where you see IIoT going and what the business uh, dynamics are and transformational nature of it. Let's, let's flip it just a little bit for our last question. As the leader of a technological advancement at Sierra Wireless, how do you inspire innovation across the team and within your own company? You know, and not just for your, on behalf of your customers. Yeah, absolutely, so innovation is a critical factor in, in our business. Um, the technology are evolving very quickly. Again, the way we were doing IoT 10 years ago was about sending an SMS. Now we speak about distributed processing, about cloud technology, about cybersecurity, about machine learning at the edge, artificial intelligence, and so on. Low power, efficiency, and so on. So there's a lot of technology innovation into, into what we do. Um, and we have a lot of, uh, of experience into how to manage, basically, uh, innovation within, uh, within our company. Um, and I would say one of the critical factors for success is to always think about incubation when you have a new idea. Um, we develop things uh, as we used to do, you know, what we call the mainstream, we have a certain way to do things. And when you bring innovation to the game, it's going to change how people design, how people sell, how people market what we do. And usually, you know, the mainstream have, the, have a tendency to kill innovation because we do certain things the, the, the way we do. We have a certain culture and innovation for real innovation is going to break a little bit and disturb the culture of the company and the way we do things. So it's very important to not kill innovation is to keep innovation a little bit aside, do a small incubation zone to nurture the innovation. And when the innovation is mature, then you can merge that into the mainstream and become a mainstream offering. But if you don't have this process, a well-thought process, the bigger risk is you have idea, but it never go into real innovation because that never get into, uh, into the mainstream of what we do. Olivia, such a great observation. You know, it's always remarkable, even with these extraordinary advances in technology and the breakthroughs that we get through innovation, it does come down to culture oftentimes, not squelching, even with good intentions, squelching these fledgling ideas of, of innovation. So. Uh, let, let me thank you again for joining us, Olivia. Great insights into an area that is incredibly um, exciting for our industry, but certainly for, for most of our listeners. And we're very fortunate also, as I mentioned before, to have Olivia as one of our uh, market experts who contributes to the Thomas Insights. Olivia, we look forward to having you back on the program for an update of some of the innovative uses of IoT. Now, thank you. That's, that is always a pleasure to to have this audience and to, and to share our experience. Thank you.